sheepdogs in the pulpit. America's greatest need. So let's turn in our Bibles. I really only have one verse to read, and it's from Isaiah chapter 21, verse 11, which says this, The burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of Seir, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And for the moment, that's all that I want to read for introduction. Talk to you about sheepdogs in the pulpit, America's greatest need. I have not made it a secret that my opinion in this country, Europe, doesn't matter, that the troubles these countries are seeing, including our own, you can lay right at the footstep of the door of the church. Jesus said in very unambiguous terms, I am the light. Then he says, ye are the light. Then he says, ye are the salt. But if the salt has lost its savor, its power, it's good for nothing. I want to say bluntly that in my opinion, in many ways, churches are good for nothing. We could just as soon just tear it down and put up a a social center, recreation center, and pretty much have the same results. Not that those things are bad, because they're not. That's not the job of the church. And in every church, there is presumably a leader. And in most cases, we call that leader the pastor. And if the church is not behaving properly or learning properly or whatever else we could think of, then you can lay the blame at the foot of the teacher or the leader, the pastor. So I today want to make the case that the church in many, many ways, though it does fit into the prophecy of Scripture, the church in many ways today is powerless and irrelevant. Not the church of Jesus Christ, the one that actually belongs to him. It is the true church, which doesn't really have a label on any door or in any building anywhere, the church of those that he has truly saved, that are truly born again. It would always be relevant, but the church of Jesus Christ has sheepdogs in the pulpit. So today we're going to talk a little bit about sheepdogs. And in particular, I'll be relating to you some stories of my sheepdog, Buddy. And I thought to myself, at the end of this, you may actually know as much about Buddy as you do about the Bible, but I have no alternative plan but to make connections between what I'm trying to say and my own dog. First of all, let me tell you why I picked him out of the litter. Four years ago, he was born, I found this breeder in Vermont who breeds East German Shepherds. It's a distinction that you have to know about this dog. This line of German Shepherd is becoming more and more rare. I had done my research on German Shepherds, very, very high end, which I wouldn't pay that much money for my dog. Then you have the backyard breeders, which doesn't mean that you're going to get a bad dog. It's more of a roll of the dice. But I found this breeder who was breeding East German Shepherds, and they were bred during the Second World War by the Germans to be military canines. So genetically, they're predisposed to be warriors, or I'll just use the word sheepdogs. Now, when I went to the breeder's house, and she had a bunch of these dogs, all warrior dogs, and she instructed me, first of all, that when I walk into the living room, just walk straight ahead. Don't look to the left or to the right. So I did, and here were the, all these dogs. They were in their crates in this room. And I just walked, I did as she said, just walked straight ahead and sat on the couch. 
Now, the mother father of my dog came out, and they were there. And before the litter was brought out to me, the dogs warmed up to me for some reason, the female. She had her head on my foot, and she said, you know, these dogs don't usually warm up to people that much, but they seem to take to you. I can't say why. I don't know. Then the litter was brought out. Now, I was not the first deposit on the litter. I was the second. And when I was looking at the litter by pictures that they were sending me, I already had my eye on the one that I wanted. He had the biggest head, the biggest paws, and there was a lot of things I just liked about his looks. And I just assumed that a man who was ahead of me would pick him. But for some reason that he never did. Maybe I know the reason why I'm going to tell you the story. So he came and he picked the one that he wanted, and there was this litter and the one that I ultimately picked and named Buddy. He was there. Now, these dogs are incredibly intelligent. If you've ever had a German Shepherd, I know some of you have had German Shepherds. They're very intelligent dogs. But this dog here, he's just a notch above them all. He's exceptionally intelligent. And as these dogs were sitting, she kind of placed them in my lap. You know, a couple of them were putting their heads on my lap, and some of them were just cozying up to me and all that, but not Buddy. He just kept doing this and doing that. And the breeder actually said to me, she said, well, I usually like my dogs to be a little more calm. And that was part of the reputation of this breeder and these dogs, that they're calm when they're secure or that when they know the master is secure. I don't want him. Now, why would I pick the one that was misbehaving? There's two reasons. I knew he had a strong will, and he would not let me down in a fight. Secondly, I counted very heavily on the fact that my will is stronger than his, which so far has proven to be the case. I wanted a dog that would not let me down in a fight. And let me give you some advice as well. If you're looking for home defense, the best thing that you could have is a big dog, and a dog like mine, who definitely has an on and off switch. You come into my house, he likes people. With the exception if he senses there's any tension between us, then his switch goes the other way. I'll get to that. Now, I knew in training this dog that I had to be on top of him all the time. And my mom, who's with us, and my wife, who's certainly with me, can testify that when I say to him, down, he drops like he was shot. Boom. Right down. And I had a lot of patience to get him to that point because he has a strong will, very strong will. Now, this is a 100-pound dog who's incredibly fast. His paws are as big as my fist, and I am assured that he will not let me down in the fight. On the other hand, I want him to be good with my family, and he is. He likes people, as I said. So we'll call him a sheepdog. I picked him once again because he's spirited, and he has a strong will. And, and by the way, here's some more advice as well. If you don't know much about the breed of the dog you're buying, you better learn it, because they all have certain traits. Many people want a German Shepherd dog because they just think that somehow you just kind of wind them up and they do what they're supposed to do. And the old saying among trainers is this, if you treat your dog like a human, they will treat you like a dog. Now, I'm not talking about being cruel to your animal. I'm just saying they must know who's alpha. Whether you're male or female, they got to know that you're in charge. Well, Buddy understands that. He understands who's in charge. But for the remainder of this message, if I relate to him at all, <clears throat> which I probably will, we're just going to simply call him a sheepdog. So what is a sheepdog? Well, typically we don't get sheepdogs as pets. Yes, they are pets, I understand that, but that's not the primary function of a sheepdog. In this case, a German Shepherd. The primary function is protection. As you know, again, with German Shepherds of all kinds, American, Eastern, Germans, all the rest, they have a notable tendency for loyalty and intelligence. And you buy a sheepdog to do the job of protecting 
the flock. Your flock may be your family. Could be the Air Force or Army base or whoever else has them. But that's the primary function of a sheepdog. What we lack in the church today is pastors who are sheepdogs, who are more concerned about the people they pastor than anything else. And by nature, in God's book, God calls pastors to be sheepdogs. They care for the flock. They care for the family of God. Obviously, a sheepdog understands the nature of wolves. And you would not want a sheepdog who, for whatever the dog's reason is, treats a wolf with kindness. You want the sheepdog to make sure the wolf understands if you come here and touch one of this flock, it will be bad for you. Let me go a little further and say that we need sheepdogs in the world today, in the military, law enforcement, and a few other select places. But I'm going to stick with and keep my remarks limited to the church. The church needs sheepdogs in the pulpit. Pastors who will keep their own integrity, and I think I mentioned this to you last week, integrity means that what you are on the outside is also precisely what you are on the inside. Anything else is either a pretense or it's hypocrisy. Now me, I have no use for hypocrites. That doesn't mean I don't have compassion on people who make mistakes because certainly I have always believed I make more mistakes than the average person or sin. But I'm not going to find my name on a list of those people who we trusted, that we trusted, who then are found out to be, most of them are sexually, I mean, the people that we trusted who failed, are sexually immoral, some on drugs. We've seen so much of this in the last few decades. Me personally, maybe more than you, because I trusted these people. Some were my leaders. Uh, some were just people I went to their seminars. I was greatly disappointed to the point of a bit of depression. Until God began to speak to me and, in essence, say this. I have a choice to be on this side of the ledger or on this side of the ledger. And I pray and I remind myself on a daily basis that no matter what happens, I do not want to be found on that side of the ledger of someone whose integrity was not intact. The profession of the outside was not the same as what was really on the inside. The application goes to you as well. I like the billboard that I passed by here coming down to the church, coming down Market Hill, and sign there from our local hospital, how do you really feel? And I've decided and selectively here or there, I'm going to say that to people when they say, you know, how are you doing? But how do you really feel? Just to see how it works. Well, the truth of it is, sometimes what's on the inside and what we're saying on the outside doesn't match. And I'm not advocating, by the way, that you go around and tell everybody all your problems and how bad you're feeling and all that. I'm just simply saying, when it relates to the Lord, Make sure your integrity is intact. You'll never be perfect. I certainly am not. But my endeavor is to be true to the Lord and in my calling to be a sheepdog in the pulpit. I want to read something to you from the poet Rudyard Kipling. And he's talking about the British soldier during a time of war. He said this about the British soldier who he named Tommy. Kipling wrote, while it's Tommy this and Tommy that and Tommy fall behind, but it's please walk in front, sir, when there's trouble in the wind. There's trouble in the wind, my boys. There's trouble in the wind. Oh, it's please walk in front, sir, when there's trouble in the wind. And I'll share this with you in a little bit, but the, sea, the sheepdog has an unenvious position because most times sheepdogs bother the sheep. If sheep could talk and sheepdogs could talk and communicate to each other, the sheep are saying, hey, relax. You know how many times I've been told by people, take a chill pill. And... 
I do my best, but just be alerted. I'm a sheepdog. I've been genetically programmed in the spirit, by the spirit, tested and trained by God to be who I am. So it's not likely that I'm going to be any less intense in the future than I've been in the past. Because my job is to preach the truth, to enforce the truth, and to watch over you. Somebody wrote to me on social media when I put something like that. I was writing to some of you people, and he just jumped in and said, you don't have to watch over me. And I just got right back and I said, and I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it. I don't want to look over some like you. You are nothing but trouble. So he lives in another state, thankfully. But you show up here, then it's my job to watch for you. It's my job to watch for wolves. We had a man in the church one day, some years ago now, and uh, he was registering some complaint to me, and I told him, I said, I'm a shepherd. Well, in this case, a sheepdog. But shepherds carry guns. They don't have slings so much. Some places in the world they do, but they carry guns now. And they see a wolf. I said, that's my job, so keep all your complaints to yourself. My job is to make sure I am executing the will of the master as a sheepdog. Do you remember Micaiah in 2 Chronicles? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 18. Micaiah was, I will say, typical prophet when we're talking about biblical, real prophets. He was typical sheepdog. So we begin reading there in 2 Chronicles 18, right at the very top, verse 1. It says, Now Jehoshaphat, he's the king of Judah, had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab, who, as you may know, was an exceptionally ungodly king. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? Just to stop for a second to again remind you, here we have Jehoshaphat, he's a godly king, and we have Ahab, he's an ungodly king, and why this alliance came about, that would take us far afield, but there was an alliance between ungodly king and a godly king. So Ahab asks him <clears throat> again, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of prophets four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle? Or shall I forbear, which means not go to war? They said, go up, for God will deliver it unto the king's hand. And so let me just pause there and say this. It is in our nature, human nature, that we want to hear the positive things. We often hear in our country, America has never lost a war. And it is my sincere prayer that that will hold true in the future. However, I now have doubts. I mean, for my lifetime... Military leaders, uh, a few others, have been saying that the moral condition of Americans now is that we couldn't pull off what we pulled off. Well, the American Revolution, we could start there and then go to World Wars I and II and so on. Because the moral condition and the softness of American men and women, not to mention that we no longer do this, oh God, help us, at least not the majority any longer. In any case... Jehoshaphat begs this question, or he asks this question. He says, okay, we heard from 400 prophets saying, you go up, you're going to win. You can do it like the little choo-choo. I think I can, I think I can. 
I believe in positive thinking. I really do. It has some merit, but it's not exhaustive. But the will of God is. It supersedes everything. Oh, Lord, be with us, and so on. This is the prayer of men and women of God of all ages. God be our help. So Jehoshaphat says, okay, we heard from these 400, and he's wise enough to ask, he says, is that it? Is there any more prophets? Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? Now Jehoshaphat evidently had a suspicion. 400 prophets says, go up, you're going to win. We always win. And Jehoshaphat says, is that all the prophets you have? Ahab's response is classic. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Let me stop and tell you this. This is one of the difficulties of being a sheepdog. You have to say the things many people don't want to hear. And watch what happens here. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may acquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. The same is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Well, let me just stop and give you a lesson here. God cannot bless that which he has cursed. God cannot say, do it this way and I'll bless it. Do it this way and I'll curse it. And reverse that and say, I'm doing it the way you said not to do it, God. I'm violating your principle, but bless it. See, he can't and he won't. So if that's in your mind, erase it. Because you will be disappointed and worse than that, you could be in danger for presuming upon your clout with God. God is not a respecter of any person, starting in the pulpit. Violate the law, that's how it goes. Comply with the law of God, the moral law, and so on, laws of the Spirit, and it works. So Ahab says, I hate him. He never says anything good. Well, the fault wasn't with Micaiah, the fault was with Ahab, because Ahab never did anything that was good. And this, by the way, is the situation we have today. The pastors who aren't sheepdogs, who are basically irresponsible, Allowing the people to do things that they should know better if they even know better. That God said, don't do. And then they're saying, well, God's going to bless you. And that's not true. It is not true. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, fetch quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes. And they sat in a void place at the entering in of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. So they're still carrying on. Zedekiah, son of Chenanah, had made him horns of iron and said, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, With these thou shalt push Syria until they be consumed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And I want to remind you, this is what we want to hear. The unfortunate part is that it wasn't true. We want to hear things that are pleasant. We're going to win when God in the heavens is saying, no, you're not. And it was one sheepdog, Micaiah. Ahab hated him. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah, this is an interesting thing too. The messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him saying, behold, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one assent. Let thy word therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs and speak thou good. Everybody's saying it's good. Don't be your typical sheepdog self and say it's not going to be good. Just say what they're saying. You have to go along to get along. Sheepdogs do not go along to get along. They simply do what they're programmed to do by God. I'm talking about sheepdogs in the pulpit. 
they do what they are called by God to do, and that's simply to tell the truth. Yes, it's always better when the truth works out and everybody likes to hear it because it is the truth. And there's many passages in Scripture that take us there, but there's many other passages that don't take us there. But the truth is still the truth. So, Micaiah is being, what's the word? Micaiah is being egged on to say, look, stop being the guy that's always saying something evil to Ahab. Everybody here is saying, we're going to win this war. Everybody here, all the prophets, just do what they're doing. Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramath-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? Here's an interesting thing as well. And he said, Micaiah said, go ye up and prosper, as they shall be delivered into your hand. Now what I see here is not necessarily him telling a direct lie. It's a lie. But it's one of those, go ahead. I've already told you. I'm putting in the words in there. I already told you. But yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and prosper. And Ahab knows this. And the king said to him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? Now this is an interesting part of human nature. He hates Micaiah. He never says anything good to Ahab, but Ahab obviously has always told him, now tell me the truth. So on the one hand, he wants to know the truth, and when it doesn't work out his way, he hates him. Let me tell you something. In America, we have quite a lot of people filling up our churches with that same idea. Tell us the truth. And at the end of the message, you say, we don't like that. We hate you. Why did you ask for the truth? You don't want the truth. It's a pretense. Then he said, Micaiah said, I did see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return, therefore, every man to his house in peace. That means don't go to war. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would not prophesy good unto me, but evil? I told you. The only one, 401 prophets is the only one who always says something negative. And the reason is, is because he was a sheepdog. When he saw the wolf, he barked. Now, let me go back just for a moment before we finish this passage to Buddy. At times, Buddy, he has a bark that frightens me, and I'm the master. I'm sitting there meditating and, you know, drinking coffee, let's say, in the morning, and his bark is so low and loud that it frightens me. And, you know, he'll be barking, whatever it is. Somebody's at the house. Somebody's coming up the driveway, whatever. And then I get annoyed, and I say, Buddy, stop. Now, he doesn't talk to me, not yet. But his eyes look at me, and this is what they say. This is what I was born to do. So I've learned to say, okay, bud, that's a good job. Now just go lay down, and then he'll go, he'll plop on the floor. Ba-boom. Let me tell you something else about my sheepdog. All night long, he's checking on me. I mean, all night long. I sleep very soundly. I'm grateful for that. But I toss and turn. I have since a kid, just this way, that way, this way, that way. And sometimes I must groan a little bit because sometimes I'm in pain. And all of a sudden, you know, I'll turn and I hear, <laughs> and I'll either say to him, buddy, it's okay. And you hear, boom, right by my side. And then what he does is this. Once he sees I'm okay, he'll make his way back into the crate. He likes being in the crate. And you hear again, I turn five seconds later. <laughs> now, is it annoying? In the middle of the night, it gets annoying. But am I grateful that there's somebody watching over me? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Somebody watching over my home? Yes, I am. Before I grab a gun or even say a prayer, Buddy's at the door. 
It's a great thing, it should be a great thing to the average Christian, which is not average any longer, to know you have a sheepdog in the pulpit. Someone who is going to cut it straight, let the Bible say what it says, not cater to the, well, usually pastors who are not sheepdogs, they cater to the crowd that either speaks the loudest, has the most clout, the most friends in the city, or give the most money. I have the record of offending people who have given the most money, offending the crowd that was tight in the back that I knew could do damage to me, at least with their mouths. And I saw one yesterday who had never ceased to do damage, try to do damage to me with his mouth, and has never been successful, and he never will be successful. Never. For every tongue that rises up against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn it. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now, I hope that one day he learns that. I truly do. I don't want to see anyone go to hell. But in the meantime, no damage to me. Inconvenience, yes. But you have to live with that as a sheepdog. Life is inconvenient as a sheepdog. Because the sheep say, shut up. Tell us something good. 400 people just said, we're going to go up. We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. And one says, no, you're not. And so to finish this portion, after Ahab complains that Micaiah never says anything good about him, Micaiah, again, he said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that it may go up and fall? He eventually died in this battle at Ramoth Gilead. Now, these are evil spirits, right? And one spake after this manner and another after this manner, and God didn't entertain that. Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? How? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. The Lord said, thou shalt entice him. That'll get him. Now, I put this in air quotes. The man of God that says, you're going to win. That'll get him. You see, because when God determines your fate after so many decisions in your life, or I said your life, person's life, has been made, and God says, this is going to be your end. When that decision is final in the mind of God, that's going to be your end. And at that point, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. That's the truth. And so it finishes this way. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. You have not even come close to doing the reading that I've done. Of course, that is my calling to see how long it has taken us to get in America to get to the point that we're at right now. We lack sheepdogs in the pulpit. So whatever they are, including hirelings, they don't care for the sheep. When the going is good, they're good. And when the going gets tough, they get going. Well, I'm sorry, but the Lord has led me to uh, one pastor I know. The Lord led him to Hawaii. Wow, what a tough place. <laughs> Have you been to Hawaii? Yeah, I've been there. I could only pray God would lead me to Hawaii. <laughs> and he'd be able to actually say, God led me to go to Hawaii. They have a chaplaincy program at Waikiki Beach. That's the truth. I could only pray to God. If, you know, if it be your will, make me the chaplain at Waikiki Beach. <laughs> I love Hawaii. Yeah, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's a war going on in the church that you pastored, and you deserted the people when they needed you most. I had a friend of mine, a pastor, who got into some trouble with the congregation, and there was a group, which was actually the majority, they said two-thirds, one-third, that stood by him. They fought it out with him. 
And when the smoke cleared, and they actually won the situation that was going on in the church. See, this group was trying to get him out. And I was advising him and the people. I actually went to the church and advised him and the people, do this and do this. Then he talks about quitting. And I told him, I said, quit? I said, these people stuck with you. These people were not only loyal to Christ, they were loyal to you. And now all of a sudden you're going to go? I think he was going to go to Florida. Who isn't called to Florida? I know one pastor is not, but... <laughs> The sunshine. That's not a sheepdog. That's not what we need. If the people, of course, we're always loyal to Christ, but if the people are loyal to the pastor, the pastor should at least in return be loyal to the people and say this, you stuck it out with me. And there were difficult times and God granted us the victory. I will stick it out with you. That's called loyalty. And that, by the way, is something we are sorely lacking in this land also. Loyalty. Taking a vow before God, like in marriage, and keeping your vow. When it gets tough, because it's not difficult to keep a vow when things are going well. Look at I got 44 years in this business. And let me tell you something. It's not all moonlight and roses. It's not all just getting dressed up and looking good in the pulpit or even sounding good in the pulpit. It's going through the daily grind of people's problems, their depressions, their anxieties, and all these other things, deaths, and being loyal to the people because you're a shepherd in this case, my analogy, you're a sheepdog, and you're called to do what is right in every case. And let me say something else. There are many who are filling the pulpit saying the right things. Their doctrine is orthodox. They draw crowds of truly righteous people, and then we find out that they weren't all that righteous behind closed doors. And this is the thing for you who can actually discern it. There's an intuitive sense that why isn't this working? It's because there's this disparity between who the person pretends to be and who they actually are. And I'll go one step further. I reminded you, I want to remind you, I've told you this before. Be careful where you get your news. Oh, you say, yeah, the media this, the media that. But I'm saying be careful of them all. You know what I do? I read headlines and I get the gist of the story and that's it. I move on. Left side, right side, doesn't matter. I don't need, I don't need to know all the details. I get the gist. Because quite frankly, I'm being honest with you. I really don't trust anybody. I get a certain group from the right that every day it's another, and I said, no, no, I'm almost ready to unsubscribe from everybody, except I have to know the news. So I stay in, I hang in there. Here's the news. This is how it went in the past. This is how it's going now, and this is how it's going to end. This is the book you need to know. This one here. And to move away from those, let me go back to the church. Those hirelings, some are just wolves in the pulpit, pretending to be sheep. Some are pretending to be sheep dogs, but they're wolves. Their interest is not you, your health, your welfare, your family, your children. Their interest is in themselves. And let me add one more. Then there's the preachers who want you to love them. If you want to be a good father or mother, you want to know what the greatest secret is? Do what's right whether your kids love you or not. For the chance that they may come back one day and say, Ma or Dad... Thanks, you were right. But before God, by telling them the truth about God, about his book, and so on, about life, at least at the very end, no matter how it turns out, you'll be able to go before God with a clear conscience. <laughs> sheepdogs have an unenviable life. The wolves certainly don't like them. Well, that's a given. But it's when the sheep don't like them. Again, let me illustrate something I've been told several times. Hey, take a chill pill. My, you know what my response is? Have you seen the news? Look, I don't go around wringing my hands all day long. I'm a warrior, not a warrior. You say, hey, can I see your sword? The answer is no. Why? Because I need it. 
Go find somebody else's sword. People are not going to take my soul out of me and say, be like the other prophets. I want to be like me. Not Mike. I want to be like me. God made me like a snowflake. Not that type of snowflake. <laughs> unique. I am unique. You are unique. We're in New York, unique New York. We need sheepdogs in the pulpit. From the book Unbeatable Mind, ex-Navy SEAL Mark Devine says this, Sheepdogs carry a heavy burden. Though trained for violence, they are often the most disciplined and well-adjusted members of society. And it's interesting, when a dog has tendencies, well, let me say it more properly, when a dog is genetically and otherwise trained to be, in my case, my dog's case, a military canine, and you train them, and they understand that at all times, in every single situation, you are alpha. They become the most disciplined, well-behaved dogs you could ever have. When I was in the postal service, you've heard some of these stories. It wasn't the German shepherds I was scared of. It was those little guys who the owner just seemed to never care where he or she was, just run up the driveway. One day, I was on a very long route, and at the end of the route, it was a hot summer day. I was soaking through my T-shirt. I was soaking through my uniform. Pants were soaked right down to the knee. I was hot. I was thirsty. Then I remembered I was coming up to this house with this little guy. is always loose. And to say the least, I just was not in the mood. I didn't know precisely what to do. I don't believe in being cruel to animals, though I have been bit a couple of times. Oddly enough, by a German shepherd and an Irish setter. But this guy came up. I think he was Scottish. And I went to just kind of just give him a little shove with my boot. Well, that didn't work out too well. I didn't hurt him, and I didn't kill him. But I gave him more of my boot than I intended to, and that was the last time he ever came up the driveway. He could smell me coming and just said, I'll just sit here. You know, we need sheepdogs. Because when they're trained, they'll be the most disciplined member of, let's say, the church. They'll be the one you actually can count on. William Bennett, in 1997, gave this speech before the United States Naval Academy, and I want you to listen very carefully. He said this, Honor never grows old, and honor rejoices the heart of age. It does so because honor is, finally, about defending those noble and worthy things that deserve defending now listen, even if it comes at a high cost. In our time, that may mean social disapproval, public scorn, hardship, persecution, or as always, even death itself. The question remains, what is worth defending? What is worth dying for? What is worth living for? But I will submit to you, this book is worth living for and if necessary, dying for. And I will also say that flag. I'm a Christian, yes, and a Christian first and foremost, but I'm an American, and I'm concerned about what I see and hear as you are. But if we don't get some sheepdogs in the pulpits, we're finished. If the church doesn't turn back to God, is it likely that those that don't know God will? When the world can rightfully point out our sin before God, what hope do we have? God's not going to defend us. So we need sheepdogs in the pulpit who will defend the word of God, letting it say what it says, leaving it be, and letting God add to the church daily as he sees fit. As I've made mention before, there are some of you that travel incredible distances to get here. I truly admire you, but I do understand what you're saying. It's getting difficult to find the church. 
where the pastor is not only a sheepdog, but he's not a dictator either. Or he's living right here. He doesn't change the Bible every other message. And you know this one. This is one of my favorites over the years. An oldie but goodie. And that is when the preacher says, I'll get you in and out in 59 minutes. That's right, 59 minutes. It sounds like one of those mattress commercials. That's right, 59 minutes. I'll get you in in 59 minutes. But I'm not getting you in in 59 minutes and out. No, I'm not. I won't hold you hostage either. But it takes time to pray. It takes time to you know, have the communion service. It takes time to preach. One hour a week. That's it. And we're talking about eternity. I'm not a salesman. I'm not here to manipulate people in. Yeah. On a television show years ago, the board members of the mother station, and this broadcast all over the world by satellite, insisted that I was the guy to run the telethon. You know, when they raised money? I said, you got the wrong guy. I'm not a money guy. Oh, we prayed in the Lord. I said, well, look at, I said, I'm telling you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going on television and say, you give today. And you give this, and God's going to give you this, and I will not do that. First night, I got up. I had a very well-known singer over there, and I got up, and I preached a message very similar to this, that no nation has lived the way we're living now and escaped the judgment of God. And I mean, you could hear a pin drop, and that was in the studio. I'm supposed to be there to raise money. This very well-known singer, uh, on the way home, we were sharing a car, go back to the hotel where he was staying, my wife and I were staying. He said, you know, I called my wife up. This guy travels the country. If I mentioned his name, you'd know who he is. He's still out there. And he said, I called up my wife, and he said, Honey, I finally found a true man of God. And they began to tell me stories. Again, you would know all these people if I named them, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to name the singer either. He said, I've been in so-and-so's church. So I've been on their boats. I've been on their yachts. All this. He said, and I can tell you, they're all phonies. This is a guy that makes his living off of what they're paying him. And I told him, I said, Well, I know your pastor, and... There's a big church in New York. I know he wouldn't approve of this. He said, I know he's told me this. And we went through all that. The second night, I got up and I shared my testimony. And the phones lit up, every single phone, so many, every phone, and so much, and so long that the floor director had to keep giving me a sign saying, tell him to keep calling back. Tell him to keep calling back. At the end of that, we had a board meeting here locally with the television station. And they were comparing the nights that I was on television to the nights that a false prophet was on behind me. He raised hundreds of thousands of dollars playing his piano, talking about his tigers and his elephants that he has and how God has prospered him. I was talking about America's salvation, and I was talking about how God changed me. I don't know how much money came in, but it wasn't much. <laughs> so they were comparing notes. But I'm a sheepdog. I'm not interested in being compared to a false teacher, a false prophet, whose bottom line is how much money he's bringing in, and most of it he's keeping for himself. Not interested. Interested in the truth. Interested in being the sheepdog, letting Jesus say what Jesus actually said, and the prophets and the apostles. We know, as we read in 1 Timothy 4.1, we are living in a time of apostasy from the church of Jesus Christ. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's the time we're living in right now. To be a sheepdog, once again, is not going to be an enviable position. And there's all types of reasons for that. Let me give you the ones I've already given you. Many times the sheep themselves won't like you. By the way, all dogs, and especially guys like Buddy, they're always in condition yellow. Condition yellow means, like in military terms, but in transferring over to dogs, I walk in a dog, he grabs his bone, he's ready to play. Somebody else walks in a dog, he's ready to fight. And he lives in that all the time. Now, if he actually attacks somebody, that's condition red. But he's always in condition yellow. He's very rarely chilling out with the remote, saying, hey, glad you're home, you know. Jumping, running around, you know, he's just excited. 
And that's what you want in a sheepdog. That's what you want in, in my case, a German shepherd. Now listen to this. Still the sheepdog disturbs the sheep. He's a constant reminder that there are wolves in the land. They would prefer that he didn't tell them where to go or give them traffic tickets. This is relating over to law enforcement and to the military. Or stand at the ready in our airports in camouflage fatigues holding an M16. The sheep would much rather have the sheepdog cash in his fangs, spray, paint himself white, and go bah until the wolf shows up. Then the entire flock tries desperately to hide behind one lonely sheepdog. Isn't that the truth? Me? Hey, take a chill pill. You take a chill pill. I know what God made me to be. And I will continue to be that by God's grace right to the grave. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. I'm simply making a case today for your prayers that God would raise up more sheepdogs for the salvation of America and to have God's protection on us and on our children and on our grandchildren. Because without sheepdogs in the pulpit, and I mean the real deal, it's not going to fare well for us. That's the truth. You see, if we can come to the truth sooner rather than later, we can cut it off. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And if we can have ourselves armed now, ready for the situation, by God's grace, we'll fare well. But if not, if people keep seeking out the church that makes them comfortable in an age when we should be most uncomfortable, that puts away discipline, when we should be now more disciplined than probably any other generation before us, because the violence that we're seeing now is exceeding worldwide, exceeding anything we've seen in any generation. And to go around just saying, bah, they interviewed some inmates in a prison not that long ago. But these were guys who were in for assault, robbery, that type of thing. And they asked them, who are the type of people that you attacked? They looked for people who walked like this. Remember, I come from New York, South Yonkers. They looked for the feeble. They looked for the weak. But if there was anybody, that, male or female, if there was anybody that threw their shoulders back and gave an air by the I could always tell who was from the neighborhood or from the area just by the way they walked. You see, you have to learn to be the predator, not the prey. The prey is always skulking around. And people, as much as we would not like to think this way, there are people, it's a small percentage, but there are people who will attack the weak, prey on the weak, including the weak-minded. I've always said to you, decade after decade, in any church I've been, there's only been a couple, right? Two, basically two churches I've served, and this one's the longest. Read the Bible. Read it for yourself. Then you'll know if what I'm saying to you is accurate or not. Read it. Don't be weak-minded. You watch the guy on TV and you love him? Check out his reference. Is it in context? Most times it's not. Now, there's some good preachers out there, don't get me wrong, but they're becoming fewer and further in between. You must be aware that wolves are out there. Satan himself, the Bible tells us, is walking around right now as a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. Here's a weak one over there. Get him. Here's a weak one over there. Get him. Get her. You've got to be able to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that will be tested. You'll be tested a lot. You'll be tested in your own home. But you be a sheepdog and say, my job is to do and tell and live the truth, regardless of who likes it, because maybe the day is going to come when <laughs> I've had this, believe me, I've had people leave our church for years. Then they get into real trouble. Who's the first person they call? Can I talk to Pastor Ray? <laughs> and I really want to say to them, you want me now? 
You didn't do anything for the church when you were here. You left it years ago. Now you want me. Now why? But I am a sheepdog. Pray always, love always. People are amazing. You didn't like me when you were comfortable because I said, don't get too comfortable because it's going to get mighty uncomfortable in the world. And now that you're uncomfortable or in a place, some are dying. I mean, literally dying. They call for Pastor Ray. That's been my experience. In any case, as we live in these days of apostasy, we can be glad we are part of the church triumphant. This verse I bring to you all the time because it's such an encouragement. I, Jesus said, will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we walk with Christ, we are guaranteed that no matter what the enemy brings up against us, it will never succeed ultimately. We shall be built up in Christ, in the Lord, and have a successful and glorious ending to our lives. It's the truth. Listen to this verse, verses plural, in Ephesians 5, 25, 6, and 7. Husbands, love your wives. Let me stop there for a second and say, why do we need to be told that? I mean, you're a young couple and you're just about to get married, and it's like, we're in love. I will always be in love. Uh huh, right. And uh, the, the woman that comes to me many years ago, she was younger then, telling me she's still gaga about her husband. Okay. Then you go on in life and you say, hmm, yeah. we're told things in scripture because we need to be told. Husbands, love your wife. And ladies, I'm not letting you off the hook. I didn't plan on bringing it in, but I'm going to let you. And then it says, submit to your husbands. What? <laughs> My husband's a jerk. <laughs> didn't say, except if he's a jerk. Oh, yeah. Hey, it goes both ways. Thank God. It goes both ways. Listen, hear this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. But here is the analogy, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's our part based on Christ's part. He has washed us. But we must not make this some type of casual, off-handed, hey, I'm washed. Are you behaving like you're actually washed? That's the question. We're washed, yes, but the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I know that some of you are retired, you're retiring, some of you are going to be moving to other states, you won't be around here. Others, you may have other reasons that you won't be around here at the time of truth, I mean. So I want to give you some advice as I have with others. When you go to another church, for whatever your reason may be, make sure your pastor's a sheepdog. You have every right, I told you this, you have every right to ask the pastor some things about himself. And after all, this is going to be the leader, right, of yourself, your wife, your children, your family. And pick a sheepdog, as I did with Buddy. I could have picked the more laid-back dog, but the more laid-back dog would be hiding behind me when the robber comes in. <laughs> or if I'm not home, and the guy says... Hey, look at this dog. He says, you want to know where the jewelry is? And the silverware is over here. Come on, guys. Give me a little pet. How about a piece of food? He'll be over there. Food where the guy robs you blind. I picked Buddy because he's a strong-willed dog, and his master is even more strong-willed. And this guy will not let you down in a fight. Make sure your pastor will not let you down in a fight. Make sure your pastor, and I'm speaking to those of you who I know will be someplace else because of your retirement and so on. And those of you watching by way of television, listening on the radio, 
Make sure your pastor is a sheepdog who actually has your best interest, not his own, in mind. That's what, by the way, that's what ministry is really all about. Listen to this. In John 10, 13, Jesus said, The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. Many hirelings in the pulpit today, many people who were never called by God to be in the pulpit, who will leave their congregation at the drop of a hat if it gets too difficult for them, or if they have a grousing wife that's constantly saying, Oh, honey, honey, honey. When I went up against my denomination 16 years ago, you know how many people wrote to me, pastors, say, Hey, we're with you. And I would say, you're with me? Then why am I standing out here by myself? This is what I would hear. Well, I have a family. I got a church. I have a family. I have a church. But I'm not buckling under to manipulative presbyters who are manipulating you and me or trying to manipulate me. But they, me, they had the wrong guy to manipulate. I don't like it. I walk into a store. My wife will remember this. We were young. I wanted a black suit. Black. Uh, well, you know, I don't think we have any black. Let me show you something. I said, whoa, I want black. Let me show you something you look good in. I want black. Do you have a black suit? Well, we don't. I said, goodbye. I don't want a brown one. I don't want a blue one. I don't care what you say looks good on me. I want a black suit. Be that way with the Lord. I want Jesus. Amen. Give me Jesus. Amen. Let me finish this story real quick and I'll close. And so I have all these friends that are standing around and say, we agree. I said, you agree? Why aren't you doing something? And that, that's what they would tell me. Well, I got a family. Well, I got a church. I said, I got a family in the church too. And I have to admit, no, yes. I put those of you that were there at the time, I put you on the line. And I've had a few people actually visit my house and remind me. So then I remind them, this is about right and wrong. And you didn't like it, so you left? Goodbye. But don't trouble me for doing the right thing in an hour when the right thing must be done. And that's just an unfortunate thing when you're connected that way, that you kind of put other people on the line with your own stand. But the sheepdog has got to get used to that too. And it's not easy. One of the things that sheepdogs live with is a lot of loneliness. But that's just the way it is. I want to finish with a story. This is a true story. Locally here, some years ago, over 30 years ago, there was a pastor who was fairly popular, radio broadcast. Almost always it was on eschatology, Bible prophecy, end times. And one day, I had a man and his wife who told me they had gone to this church. I knew nothing about this pastor. I even forget his name now. That they had left there to come here. Okay. And then they went on to tell me why. Now listen to this. The pastor, who had a reputation as a Bible prophecy teacher and so on, was having sex with the deacon's wives, whom he would tell the deacons, these are my concubines. Now, this is in the area where we all live, so this is in some far-off land. I mean, my jaw dropped open. He would convince the deacon one by one that that wife was supposed to be his concubine. So he had all these women in his uh, harem. One day he went to this man, not the man that was in my church, but somebody else. And he said to the deacon, they were all deacons, he said, the Lord has showed me that your wife is to be my next concubine. The man said to him, I'll have to pray about that. Came back after a few days of prayer and said, you're right. The Lord has confirmed it. This is the type of craziness we're living in. Any other man, well, I have to leave off the violent part, but any other man would have taken care of that pastor. When my wife was younger, or even now, and someone tried to hit on her, it was done with real quick, real quick, real quick. Someone tried to hit on my wife one time, so I called him up and got him out of his bed. Explained to him, which I can't explain in public. Told him what I was going to do. He called one more time. The end of that. You see, because that's what men do. That's what sheepdogs do. You stay away from my wife. And you stay away from my family. And you stay away from the church of the people I pastor. Now people voluntarily go. I don't think about them anymore. I mean, I pray for them. Because that's what sheepdogs do. 
And that is the crying need in this country today. People who have altruistic motives who are more concerned about you. Do you think I stayed in this area because I'm concerned about me? Because I can't really get another job? I stayed here for one reason. God called me and I will be loyal to my master. And I will be loyal to you. There is no safety for honest men except by believing all possible evil of evil men. Words of Edmund Burke and his Reflections on the Revolution in France. Let's pray as we pray for our nation that God raises up sheepdogs in the pulpits. Not bullies, not dictators, men whose intellects are on fire, men whose motives are altruistic, men whom the Spirit of God can use. God help us. We need him now more than ever. So we come to you today, Father God, in Jesus' mighty name. And we ask you, God, to help us because we need your help. I've always told this congregation here, and they know it, I don't think I could fall. I know I could fall. And I think that's the one thing, in addition to your grace, that keeps me from it, because I know it could happen to me. Oh, God, we cry out to you and humble ourselves before you today that we would not be on that list of defectors from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil, and especially when it's coming from sources we trust on the so-called right. Your word is right. Your book is right. Help us, God. God, we pray for this nation. We ask you to raise up faithful preachers of the word of God in this hour of history. We ask you, God, and grant us a third great awakening, one that would exceed the first and second great awakenings in our American history. Oh, God, pour out your spirit that we may see reformation and revival, and therefore righteousness in the land. For righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Help us today, O oh God, individually. Help us today, God, corporately. Help us, God. We need you. We need brave men and brave women in this time of history. And in the end, when we meet you, we will be able to hear you say, well done. That good and faithful servant, well done. Help every single one who has heard this message to be engaged in that endeavor and in this fight of faith in this time that every one of us may hear those words, well done. Now, good and faithful servant. Yes, God, we bless you and we praise you. Thank you, Father. Bless your name. And so, God, we come down to this as we do every single week. Remind us during the week to love you with all the heart, all the mind, all the strength, all the soul, everything. And then when we turn to each other, to have that respect and courtesies, basically, to love each other. Cause us to do that. And in this, we will fulfill all the law and all the prophets. And we'll stay strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. Again, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor today in Jesus' name. Can you say one more time, amen?